1: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This episode is being recorded in rather a hurry because I do have to go to work in something like... Well, let's see. I reckon I've got about half an hour, which should be enough time to pick up a sandwich on the way. So I've got to try and do this in something like the next... 20 minutes. Let's see if that's possible. So uh, I wanted to do this now because um, I think that it's very important that I get this episode out um, uh, because it's all about the results of the UK general election. Obviously the last two episodes were all about uh, predictions about the election and since it's already now happened and we know the results and it's been about a week since those results came in, uh, it's about time for me to kind of just bring some closure. To the whole story by talking about what happened and um, why it happened and what's likely to happen in the future. Okay, so um, I, I'm reading some stuff that I prepared. I wrote some things down, uh, some notes and some bits of script and stuff. So you can read a lot of this um, on TeacherLuke.co.uk. Just find the page for this episode as usual. Uh, this should be episode number 270. So you'll see a lot of this stuff written there. If you want to uh, check out words, if you want to check vocabulary. Vocabulary that you're not sure of if you're not sure if you understood everything you can read a lot of this um, that's kind of your your path to studying some of the language that you're hearing so let's get down to business then with the um uk general election results um 2015. So in the last two episodes, I went into quite a lot of detail about the context and predictions for the general election in the UK, which took place just over a week ago on the 7th of May. The results came in on the morning of Friday the 8th of May, and a week later we now have a new government which is already getting itself ready to run the country over the next five years, implementing various plans, policies, and legislation. The results were pretty surprising in the end, which was a surprise in itself. Despite the fact that we knew the result uh, would be unpredictable, nobody expected a surprise. And for that reason, the surprise that we got was pretty surprising. It shouldn't have been a surprise, of course, because we all knew that we didn't know what was going to happen. And because of that, any result would have been surprising. So what was the surprise? Well, the Conservatives won an outright majority. There was no hung parliament, no coalition, no negotiations and no deal-making. Just five more years of a David Cameron-led Conservative government without the influence of the Liberal Democrats. Just the Tories running the whole show. So let's have a look at what happened and what we can expect over the next five years. Of course, my comments here are predictions and speculations when I'm talking about the future, and obviously I can't guarantee that it's all going to happen as I describe it. Um, As ever, we can't be completely certain about what the future will bring. So again, you can expect more surprises. So be ready to be surprised if that is possible. Is that possible? is it possible to be ready for a surprise? Surely if you're ready for a surprise, then it won't be a surprise, will it? Well, anyway, according to last Friday's result, that is possible, because we were all ready for an unpredictable result, and then when the actual result wasn't predicted, we were all surprised by it. Anyway, enough of all this nonsense about surprises, which is probably a bit confusing. Um, Don't worry if it is confusing, because I will make it a bit clearer for you in a moment when I go through all the details. So what were the predictions? Let's just remind ourselves of what we predicted, or what the polls predicted. Um, Although we knew it would be difficult to predict, most people were sure that neither of the two parties – that's the Conservatives and Labour, the two big parties – we were pretty sure that neither of those big parties would gain enough seats to form a majority government. That number, of course, was 326. Um, and so we thought that we would have another hung parliament like last time. A hung parliament is when none of the parties uh, achieve a, a majority. Um, So we expected there to be a period of negotiation in which, firstly, the Conservatives attempted to make a deal with either the Liberal Democrats, if they won enough seats, or possibly UKIP, that's the United Kingdom Independence Party, if they won enough seats. I expected that it would be too difficult for the Tories to do this, that they wouldn't be able to make a coalition deal with anyone, and then it would be up to Labour to try and make a coalition with either the Liberal Democrats, if they won enough seats, and a sort of coalition with the between Labour and the Liberal Democrats was difficult to imagine, or the SNP, which was also difficult to imagine. And in fact, most of the outcomes were difficult to imagine. Most of the kind of coalition deals were all difficult to imagine for various reasons. Most of those reasons being that the parties had ruled out almost all kinds of coalition deal with each other. For example, the Labour Party had said, no, we're not going to make a coalition with the Scottish National Party. And we refuse to make a coalition with the Liberal Democrats if Nick Clegg is the leader. And the Liberal Democrats have said, we're not going to let you dictate who our leader is. And, you know, so everyone was kind of you know, refusing to make a statement about coalition deals, so we expected lots of political manoeuvring um, after the results had come in during that negotiation period, and then some kind of complex and unsatisfying partnership coalition between parties that didn't really see eye to eye on everything. That's what we expected, some kind of coalition that was, or or some unsatisfactory kind of deal between different parties. A lot of people expected Ed Miliband to be the next Prime Minister, as it looked more likely that he'd be able to make a deal with one or more of the other parties. Also, a lot of the newspapers were kind of, you know, praising, Ed Miliband quite a lot, saying that he'd done quite a job, quite a good job of convincing everyone. It's funny how now, of course, we're all talking about Ed Miliband as a total failure, um, even though just a few days earlier, people were talking him up as if he, you know, he could be our new prime minister and how he'd actually been quite convincing and he'd done quite a good um, uh, campaign. Now, of course, we're all saying he's a total loser, his campaign was a disaster, and he's a personal failure for him. Uh, Interesting how things change in politics. Um, In the end, though, despite the fact that we all knew the results would be unpredictable, the outcome was generally surprising for everyone, as I've already said in some detail. The Tories won an outright majority with a win of 331 seats. That is a majority, Remember, the majority they needed was 326 and they got 331. It is a majority. It's quite a small majority. Um, What were the numbers? Let's go through some of the main numbers here. So the Conservatives won 331 seats, which was um, that's up. They were up by... 24 seats compared to last time. Labour won 232 seats. That's down by 26 seats compared to last time. The Liberal Democrats won eight. And that's down by a huge 47 seats. So that's a big... Um, loss for the Liberal Democrats. The Scottish National Party got 56 seats, and they are up by a massive 50 seats. That's a big, uh, a big improvement for the Scottish National Party. A big win, a landslide victory, you might say. Uh, UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party, led by Nigel Farage, the Eurosceptic kind of anti-immigration party, they won one seat. Um, which is up by one. So I think that means they now have two seats in the House of Commons. Is that right? Uh, anyway, oh, I should know that. Oh, I know. They got one seat and that's up by one because last time they had no seats. So they've got one seat. Um, that's UKIP. Plaid Cymru, the Welsh Party, they've, they, uh, they've got three seats, which is no change from before. The Green Party also have three seats, uh, which is no change. Did the Green Party have three seats? Hold on a minute. Hold on a second. Let's have a little look at that. Um, Just having a quick check. Now, that was a mistake. The the Green Party actually just have one seat, which is no change from before as well. 18 other seats went to other parties, okay, so other smaller uh, parties. So, what happened to the leaders and the parties? Let's start with the Conservatives. So, it probably felt like an amazingly huge victory. For the Tories, when first of all the exit polls, those are the polls that suggest what people have voted for. Exit polls are a lot more reliable because the exit basically people go into the polling booths, they make their vote, and then they come out, they've already voted, and then the pollsters ask them who they voted for. Um, So it's a much more reliable prediction of what the voting pattern will be. So the exit polls by about 10 p.m. On, on Thursday evening, indicated that the Conservatives were going to win. And then on Friday morning, it turns out they did win, and they won more convincingly than, than people expected. So it probably felt like an amazingly huge victory in comparison to what everyone expected before the Thursday, which was, of, of course, a hung parliament. Apparently, David Cameron was surprised by the result. Um, I think he was expecting a hung parliament as well. So it must have been very exciting for him personally. But now I expect that the honeymoon period is already wearing off. You know, the honeymoon period, that means the sort of positive period just after a win. Uh, I mean, in terms of a marriage, obviously, you get married and then there's a period of time where everything is beautiful and wonderful. uh, And then eventually that sort of wears off and you go back to reality again. We call call it the honeymoon period. It's not just for marriages. It could be for other things. Like, for example, uh, if a political party win an election, there's going to be a honeymoon period where they feel positive and and then reality sets in after some time. So uh, I imagine that already the honeymoon period is starting to wear off because uh, David Cameron faces a number of challenges uh, over the next five years as Prime Minister. Um, it will certainly be easier for the Tories without the influence of the Liberal Democrats in their coalitions, because they're not in coalition anymore. Uh, so it'll be easier for the Tories just to be on their own, you know, in majority. But David Cameron does face possible problems, like, for example, some division within his party, particularly over the European Union, because some Tories... Uh, are quite keen to leave Europe others are less keen to leave Europe so there's a possible divide there between euro skeptics and non euro skeptics within the Conservatives also David Cameron faces a very powerful Scottish National Party in the House of Commons in opposition together with the Labour Party who will not only block some of his plans but also may demand uh, other things like a Scottish referendum on, on independence um, David Cameron will have, will also have to push forward with even more unpopular austerity measures. That's cuts to public spending and welfare. Um, he made a speech um, after his win highlighting the importance of unity. He said he plans to be a one-nation prime minister. That means that he hopes to appeal to everyone in the UK. He's kind of pushing the line that he wants to reach out to all the people who didn't vote for him and also he must, he, he must try to work hard to make sure that the whole of the UK stays together and that it doesn't break up, mainly as a result of Scotland campaigning for more independence. So he's trying to push himself as a one-nation prime minister. That's someone who's, who represents the entire UK. He's trying to hold the UK together while also trying to convince everyone to, to, you know, you know, to have faith in him. Um, it's also quite interesting to note that London Mayor Boris Johnson... Is, who's quite a colourful character and quite a ho- high-profile Conservative. He is now a Member of Parliament as well. He was a candidate in a London constituency called Uxbridge and South Ricelip, and he won that constituency. So he's now in the House of Commons too. Do you know Boris Johnson? I've talked about him maybe a little bit on the podcast. I plan to do an episode all about Boris because I think he's an interesting character. Um... So he's now in the House of Commons and that's quite interesting because we know that he's ambitious and he probably has his eyes on the Prime Minister position in the future. I think it was probably a calculated move by the the Tory high command. That's the people who run the Tory party. It was probably a calculated move to get Boris in the House of Commons uh, because in the event of a possible uh, hung parliament and then a negotiation with with UKIP, the Tories would have needed another option for leadership. It was possible that the Tories would have got rid of Cameron if he uh, wasn't prepared to get into a coalition with UKIP I imagine so they probably needed some other options including someone who's quite Eurosceptic and popular with the electorate and Boris fits that bill quite nicely so I imagine it was a calculated move to get Boris in the House of Commons so that the Tories had another option for leadership if they needed it but then since the Tories won an outright majority Boris now has to keep a bit quiet for the time being So his route to number 10 uh, has been blocked a little bit there. Uh, Cameron's leadership is not in question at this moment because they won a majority. However, he has promised that at the end of this term, which is five years, um, at the end of this, this government term of five years, Cameron has said that he will stand down. To stand down means to resign or to quit. Basically, Cameron said, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll do two terms as prime minister and that's it. Um, he doesn't want to outstay his welcome, you know. If you outstay your welcome, it means you stay longer than, than people really want you to. In this case, as prime minister, but also you can outstay your welcome as a guest at someone's house. If someone invites you over for a drink, you come round. And if you stay, f- like, you know, for two days, then you've definitely outstayed your welcome. You know, and you might say, oh, "Oh, I think I'd probably better be off. I don't want to outstay my welcome." Anyway, David Cameron doesn't want to outstay his welcome. He's promised that he will stand down after five years. So then, I expect it'll be time for another leadership race. Well, it will be. It will. It will be time for another leadership race for the Tory Party, and Boris Johnson could be in pole position. Pole position means you know, in first place, like in a, like in the Grand Prix, like in a, in an F one. Uh, Uh, motor car race, pole position means in first place. Um, So um, I imagine that Boris Johnson will be in pole position for the leadership, uh, in in the leadership race, which will, you know, begin sort of, you know, later on in this uh, Tory uh, government term. Uh, So when is that? 2020? I expect we'll see Boris Johnson aiming for number 10. Uh, Who's going to be the London mayor? That's another story. Eddie Izzard is actually um, hoping to become London mayor in the future, you know, the comedian Eddie Izzard. Anyway, that's another story for another time. Uh, by the way, on Saturday, uh, you know, a couple of days after the election, on Saturday, there was already some civil unrest with protests in central London against further spending cuts by the government. People in fact lined up near Whitehall in order to demonstrate, and a few people were arrested by the police. So plenty of people are already unhappy with the Conservatives and their plans to make even bigger cuts to public spending. In fact, um, Ian Duncan-Smith, who is Home Office Minister. Wait a minute, actually, officially, Ian Duncan-Smith is the head of the Department for Work and Pensions. Anyway, uh, Ian Duncan-Smith, a a high-level Conservative member of Parliament, member of the Cabinet, Um, Ian Duncan-Smith has already announced plans to cut £12 billion from the welfare budget uh what's welfare well basically well when we say welfare we're talking about state-run programs to provide money and services and help to people who need it like sick people the elderly the unemployed the disabled single mothers and so on they all um receive welfare that's basically money and services to help them um so already 12 billion pounds is going to be cut from from uh the welfare program um and um a lot of people are really annoyed about that and unhappy about it um and uh, we saw demonstrations already some violent demonstrations uh, let's look at the labor party so labor lost loads of seats in Scotland first and foremost they just won they they lost tons of seats in Scotland their their hopes of forming a government were dashed ed Miliband resigned uh, he quit he stepped down all all of those expressions mean the same thing if you step, step down is a phrasal verb which is used to describe when someone in a high position, in high office, usually a a politician, resigns. So they step down. You can imagine that they're standing on on a platform quite high up and then they step down from that platform in order to to, to resign. So Ed Miliband resigned, he quit, he stepped down um, as leader of the party. The party also lost a lot of other key MPs, including Shadow Chancellor Ed Balls. Ed Balls, yes, that really is his name. Um, so Ed Balls um, lost his seat, so he's gone. Uh, the party is now leader- leaderless and is licking its wounds. If you're licking your wounds, it means, well, imagine that uh, imagine you've received wounds, like injuries in a fight. Uh, an, an animal, if an animal has a fight with another animal and it receives some cuts or injuries, imagine a cat has had a fight with another cat and its, its leg has been cut. The cat would lick the wound as a way of trying to help it to heal. Okay, so we use the expression, if you're licking your wounds, it means you're recovering from uh, 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 injuries. In this case, the Labour Party is licking its wounds. It's kind of recovering from the defeat. Uh, The next thing for Labour to do is to find a new leader and a new direction. Essentially, it's a question of go left or aim for the centre. These are the two directions they can take. Either they pursue a more traditional left-wing line in order to compete with the SNP or Green Parties, who are generally quite left-wing, or they become more populist and centrist aiming for a similar tactic as Tony Blair in 1997, when he chose the third way. Third way. So, you know, the two traditional ways are basically right and left. But the third way basically means adopting some aspects of the left, for example, the socially minded side, and then borrowing some aspects from the right. Typically, the private sector led kind of free market economy kind of thing. So it's going to be difficult for Labour to choose their approach, choose their direction, and then choose a leader. So in the next couple of months, we will see that the Labour Party will... um choose its next leader. So it'll be interesting to see who that's going to be, and to see what kind of direction they will choose. Will it be a kind of a left-wing direction, or a more sort of centrist, populist approach? Why did the Labour Party lose? Well, it, seemed that there, it seems that there is a rule in UK elections, and the rule is that no party has ever won an election when the leader is less popular than his or her rival, or rivals, um, and when people don't fully trust the economic plan Of that party. Um, So these seem to be the crucial things. A convincing leader with a convincing economic plan. In the end, Ed Miliband was just not convincing enough, and neither was the Labour economic plan. Perhaps also the Conservative rhetoric really worked. And their rhetoric was to say basically. Five years ago, we were in a mess because of Labour. They borrowed too much money, they taxed too much and they spent too much and they got the country into loads of debt. Then the Tories took over five years ago and we've been following a strict long-term plan and it's working. So let us finish the job and don't let Labour mess it all up again. So it's basically vote for the Tories or Labour will bring us back to the terrible economic mess that we were in before. It's kind of a scare tactic. Uh and in, in in the end it worked out very well for them. Also the Conservatives um kind of scared voters away from 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 voting Labour by saying if you vote for Labour you're going to let the Scottish National Party dominate the government because um voting for Labour would probably end up in Labour uh, making a coalition deal with the SNP. So the Tories were saying, don't vote Labour, they'll screw up the economy and and they'll make a coalition deal with the scary Scottish National Party, who will only represent Scottish interests, so everyone else in England, you're going to be, uh, you know, the country's going to be uh, taken to ransom, it's going to be kidnapped by the Scottish National Party, and that's a nightmare. So that kind of scare tactic seemed to work for the Conservatives. Either that, or just generally, the, the public trusted the Conservatives, and it seems that in the end, when it comes down to the crunch on election day, when people go into the polling booth, and they actually have the Pencil in their hand, they have to choose who they're going to vote for, and it seems that in that moment, people tend to go a little bit conservative. They start to think, "Oh, am I am I really going to trust weird Ed Miliband and his dangerous economic plan of lots of public spending, or am I going to keep it? You know, I'm going to, am I going to stay safe and stay the same and protect the status quo?" And it seemed that that's what a lot of people uh, wanted to do—the status quo, protecting the status quo. There obviously means protecting things. Things as they are. Not protecting a rock band from the 1980s called Status Quo. No, that I don't think people were really that bothered about Status Quo, the rock group, um, even though they had lots of hit records in the 80s and 90s. No, Status Quo, a bit like Steve Miller Band, they weren't involved in this. Uh, but the Status Quo just means the, the way things are right now. Uh, so people seem to in the end, protect the status quo, meaning they decided they wanted to keep things as they are now. Um, and they voted Conservative, a lot of them. Not all of them, of course, just uh, enough people to to get them back into government. Um, what about the Liberal Democrats? Well, they lost loads of seats. Uh, it was a terrible night for them. Most of their seats went to the Tories, but also uh, they lost some in Scotland. Um, Just going back to the Labour Party for a second, it wasn't just that the Conservatives stole seats from the Labour Party. Of course, the Labour Party lost uh, loads of seats in Scotland because the Scottish National Party was such a success. They took all the seats away from the Labour Party, as we expected. Back to the Liberal Democrats. uh, Their leader, Nick Clegg, he quit, he resigned, he stepped down as well. And they're now leaderless too. They're out of government and they're suddenly much less influential in government than they were before. And they also lost a, a lot of key members, either because they, they, well, because they lost their seats, basically. So some of the key uh, Liberal Democrat uh, members are, are out. So the Lib Dems are basically screwed now they've got to find a new leader and they just have to try and convince the public to support them again. Um, but it's a, it's going to be very difficult. It was a, a huge loss for the liberal Democrats. Um, why did the liberal Democrats lose so many seats? Well, essentially the Tories devoured them. The conservatives just consumed them. Essentially they stole lots of their seats. Um, over the last five years, the Liberal Democrats have taken the blame for a lot of the failings of the of of the government um, um, you know they, The liberal Democrats didn't really stand out during the election. Their whole message really was just you know you just need the liberal Democrats in any coalition deal and uh, it wasn't really clear what they would do other than sort of prop up another party and just moderate the other party. So this was basically a compromise position, and I suppose that voters aren't really fully convinced by that kind of vague rhetoric. Just, you know, vote for us because we'll just keep everything uh, under control, and we won't let the others go too far. Well, it's just not really specific enough. Um, Scottish National Party, uh, the SNP, they won a landslide victory in Scotland. A landslide victory. Uh, Even more than predicted they're now in a position to have a big influence on policy legislation and the way that the whole country is run in general. Uh, for the Scottish, this is a, generally a good thing. It means more power for Scotland, uh, more specific, you know, control over what happens in Scotland. Uh, for some non-Scottish people, particularly in England, it's it, it's a worrying prospect for a few reasons. For the Tories, they'll have to, they'll have a, a tough time convincing the scottish national party to vote in favor of austerity measures also the scots will uh will use the scots will use independence no they the scots will 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 may the scots may demand um independence I'm just rewriting something here the scots may demand independence they said that they wouldn't push for it But there are suggestions that, in fact, now they will, and they will demand another independence referendum. Having such a large presence in the House of Commons means that the Scottish National Party will be in a much better bargaining position to get an independence referendum if they want it. Um, So with all the support that they seem to have in Scotland, perhaps if there was another referendum, the result would be yes next time. And Scotland, um, if if they have another referendum scotland will 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 probably vote yes and and will then leave the union and then it'll be goodbye united kingdom united kingdom i say it could just be the kingdom and not so united anymore or or maybe even the divided kingdom or or the queendom as we know because in fact we've got a queen so it could be the divided queendom or just the queendom obviously we're not going to change the name But um, it's just an example of how constitutionally things are going to change if um, if we have another independence referendum. Uh, What's what has what has the Queen been doing actually all this time? I expect uh, I'm not sure for certain, but I expect that she's just been observing, reading the newspapers, watching the TV, drinking cups of tea, smoking. Uh, Rumours are that the Queen is a smoker. I personally don't believe it because she seems pretty healthy. Uh, but anyway she's probably been you know keeping up to date on what's been going on and getting lots of advice from experts at the palace um then she she met David Cameron last week uh she has met him during the week and and since she got the and since Cameron got the mandate from the people by kind of you know winning the election she then invited him to form a government which gives him the authority to run the country so the queen has said okay dave off you go. You can run the country now. You've got permission. I don't suppose she said it like that. She probably did it in slightly more formal terms than that. But we don't know because, you know, no one knows. No, no, we're not allowed to be party to that meeting between uh, the, the Prime Minister and the Queen. Um, what about UKIP? What about them? Well, they got one seat, which is not that much, really. We, we thought they might get more. Nigel Farage lost his seat, um, he wasn't even elected in his constituency; he lost it to a Conservative MP. So that must have been either a kick in the stomach for Nigel Farage, like a big defeat, or it's a relief because he has been campaigning very hard. He said actually that it, that that it's been like a, a large weight has been lifted off his shoulders. So it sounds like it's a bit of a relief for him after all of that campaigning and all that pressure and stuff. Um, after losing his seat, he promptly resigned. As leader of the party, suggesting that he would take the summer off before deciding if he would apply to become leader again in the future. Uh, the party actually refused his resignation. The party just said, no, no, Nigel, you're not allowed to quit. We like you too much. You're too great as a leader, so we, we want to keep you. So that's it, I think. He's still the leader of, of UKIP, even though he's not an MP. It's worth noting that that uh, the electoral system that we have um, was a disadvantage for UKIP because, you know, we've got the first past the post system. It's all about winning constituencies and then getting seats. If we had um, proportional representation, then UKIP would get many, many more seats. In fact, in terms of the overall number of votes in the country, UKIP came third and they got something like, Something in the region of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent of the vote, which is huge. So even though they got loads of votes, they those votes didn't necessarily uh, translate into uh, victories in constituencies. You know, they they just kind of came a narrow second in lots of constituencies, and so they're not they don't have the same presence in parliament that uh, they think they should have. So if we had proportional representation, that might result in uh, a much bigger presence for ukip in the house of commons um so why did the leaders resign well some people like you know my students and some of my listeners seem to be surprised that the leaders of these losing parties resigned kind of quite quickly well that's normal in the uk really the idea is that the leaders take responsibility for the defeat and that allows the party to then bounce back find a new leader and then move on and that's quite common and normal in the uk Also this time it's particularly relevant because Ed Miliband and Nick Clegg in particular failed to inspire the electorate and their popularity is now damaged beyond repair I think and it would be very hard for them to come back from such a clear defeat in order to lead their parties to some sort of victory again in the future because I think much of it is due to them as individuals because you know personality is so important in politics these days. Um So they have to go. They have to step down in order to let the parties have a decent chance of succeeding next time. Ultimately, the parties are bigger than their leaders. So the leaders go in order to give the parties a chance to bounce back. Um, That is basically it, okay? Because I now have to go out, I've got to get lunch, and I've got to go to work. Okay, so there we go. We've got five years of conservative government. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, remember that David Cameron um, predict, uh, David Cameron promised a referendum on the European Union. That means that um, if if he sticks to his promise. Um, in 2017, the UK will be able to vote on whether uh, it wants to be part of the European Union or not. And, and it's, so it'll be interesting to see how that debate progresses. Um, you know, will when, when uh, the citizens of the United Kingdom really think about it, will they decide to stay in Europe or leave Europe? It'll be an interesting debate and the outcome will be very interesting too because it could be that the UK chooses to leave the European Union, but Scotland probably won't be happy with that, because generally in Scotland they're quite keen on being in in the European Union. So if we have a referendum and the country as a whole decides to leave Europe, then I wouldn't be surprised if Scotland demanded that, that Scottish votes in the referendum were counted, because it would probably show that most people in Scotland voted to stay in Europe, so what would happen there is that the UK would leave Europe, but Scotland would leave the UK and stay part of Europe. And so we'd end up with this kind of broken United Kingdom, which is not in Europe, sort of drifting somewhere into the mid-Atlantic. Um, what a weird situation that would be. So it's all changed, possibly. It could be all change uh, for the UK. Or maybe not. Maybe the UK will choose to stay in Europe and Scotland will remain a part of the UK and will carry on. It's going to be tough and it's going to be interesting. Um, So watch this space, check out, you know, keep your eyes pinned on the news to see what's going on in the UK. That's it. That's it for the politics at the moment. I was hoping to go through a list of words that you may have heard in this episode and previous episodes. And I did begin that list. And that list includes expressions like the political spectrum, constituencies, an MP, the House of Commons, seat, the cabinet, ministers and ministries. Political parties, decentralisation, devolution, a landslide victory, voter apathy, candidates, a hung parliament, a coalition government, austerity measures, welfare payments, the welfare state, benefits, allowing businesses to flourish or thrive, the public sector versus the private sector, tuition fees, macroeconomic factors, uh, referendum, and other things. I started making that list, but I didn't finish. Um, and I don't have time to go through all of those words, but you can find my unfinished list on the page for this episode. And of course, don't forget you can actually read a lot of these words and things um, on uh, all the relevant pages for these uh, recent episodes about politics on Luke's English podcast. okay? Um, that's it. okay, I've got to go out. I've got to eat uh, because I need to be able to, to to fuel myself with nourishment in order to be able to just c- continue to live, okay? I think you'll agree that's important because if I don't manage to eat then then you won't be able to listen to any episodes of Luke's English podcast. Maybe I, if I it's just, obviously this is ridiculous now but if I did starve uh maybe I would manage to come back as a ghost and and haunt the internet. Uh but it's unlikely, isn't it? Let's face it. Um okay then. That's it. Lovely to speak to you. Um you can expect more episodes of the podcast coming soon. It's been a very busy time. Lots of exam marking and other things, as you well know. I'm not going to go on about how busy I am. I've already done that enough. It's now just time for me to say uh, thanks again for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks again for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.